Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Republican Party in the late 1940s and the development of the uh, anti-communist climate of fear in America uh, in the late 40s and early 50s. Uh, today I'm looking at the, the Great Fear by David Coates. Um, I've worked with uh, quite a few of David Coates books uh, in the past, particularly his works on the fellow traveller movement. Um, the uh, European and American intellectuals who went to the Soviet Union during the 1930s. Uh, and he's a, a great observer of these kind of uh, ideological um, high points of the 20th century, or some might argue low points, um, in, uh, in the Western world, these um, interactions that the West had with communism, both um, favourable and, and negative. Um, so here we look at um, the, the second chapter of the book, um, The Republican Catharsis, um, and David Coates starts by discussing the development of um, isolationism uh, after the Second World War, which was um, just as pronounced, really, as the um, supposed um, isolationist uh, shift in American uh, popular thought after the First World War. So David Coates writes, When we come to consider the isolationist sentiment that fueled the fires of domestic anti-communism in the late 40s and the 50s, we must distinguish between two types of isolationism. The first, Fortress America, turned its back on Europe, on the old corrupt world, out of disgust or disinterest, its spurned involvement. The second was the product of an ultra-sensitivity about European politics among those sections of the American population, most notably the German-Americans, who recognised in 1940 that the United States must either go to war with Germany or stay neutral. Um, the, the First World War uh, that ended in the Russian Revolution um, sent uh, throughout Europe uh, the immediate fear of um, revolution spreading and in parts of Germany in, and in Hungary 
this indeed happens there, winds up uh, in Hungary for a brief period of time, uh, Hungarian Soviet Republic and in uh, Bavaria, um, and across Europe from um, Ireland to Great Britain to uh, France uh, and Italy, there were either um, uprisings uh, or indeed uh, the, the, the fear and the anxiety of them uh, in Glasgow in Great Britain uh, in 1919, the red flag is is raised above um, the central square of the of the city, George Square in in Glasgow. Um, Winston Churchill's Home Secretary even considers uh, deploying uh, tanks to George Square, which which uh, subsequently subsequently happens. And there is in most industrial cities uh, a heightened fear of um, sedition. Uh, and uh, of the possibility of, of an uprising. Um, in America, in uh, 1919, 1920, 1921, the uh, fear uh, of the Russian Revolution uh, somehow transmitting itself uh, became concentrated with uh, a spate of uh, anarchist bombings, uh, particularly um, a huge um, a terrorist uh, bombing on Wall Street, um, which uh, became the sort of the focal point of, for example, the, the arrest of, of Sacco and Banzetti. That was really um, why you you wind up with that particular uh, miscarriage of justice. Um, the same thing, I guess, happens. The same kind of sensitivity to the transmission of revolutionary uh, politics happens after World War II, once again, when the Soviet Union has made significant advances into Eastern Europe, when parts of the Third World appear to be uh, moving cl ever closer towards um, some kind of, some version of socialism, be it a more, kind of a more national liberation sort of movement that you would see uh, emerging in Indochina or um, what would then become uh, Maoism. So there's this huge, huge sense of concern about what is happening beyond America's borders and um, the idea that dangerous ideas can be somehow magically transmitted across borders. Um, and so this kind of isolationism, um, that by going to war in Europe you somehow bring back the worst and most frightening radical aspects of Europe, is something that really uh, kind of animates popular fears. And the relationship that the Roosevelt administration had with the Soviet Union, that somehow Roosevelt had taken America into the wrong war, um, this sort of uh, misguided, high-minded uh, Democrat um, who's kind of uh, notionally honourable but ultimately naive principles saw him cozying up to Stalin, um, this again gave the Republicans immense amounts of ammunition to suggest, you know, um, what had been shared, what kind of diplomatic relations had there been, what kind of transfer of information had there been. Uh, by 1949, when the Soviet Union um, developed the atomic bomb, and it turns out there are Soviet spies, uh, atom spies in America, uh, the finger is quickly pointed at the Democrats and Roosevelt's legacy, saying, you know, if you hadn't been so weak and naive, none of this would have happened. So David Cope writes, 
It was this breed of isolationism that became a vengeful force in post-war America. The isolationism of regret, bitterness, betrayal, revenge. Many Americans felt that the outcome of the war, which had been demonstrably in the favour of the Soviet Union, uh, had seen uh, the United States and its principles played for fools, that men had fought and died for a notion of liberty, which was in at least half of Europe snuffed out once the war uh, ended. In 1940, uh, there were 23 counties in which Roosevelt lost over 35% of the vote and um, that he had achieved in 1936. 19 of these were predominantly German-speaking in background. Samuel Lubon, uh, the, uh, uh, the researcher, uh, had concluded that um, attitudes towards American involvement in the Second World War largely governed attitudes towards McCarthy. And the reason for this is telling. Um, a study, for example, of Pierce County in Wisconsin showed that McCarthy received a disproportionate support of people from German descent. Um, Lubel wrote, in not one of the in not one of the German American counties I visited, did I find a single person who believed a settlement with Russia was possible. So there were a significant number of um, German American and uh, other European American communities, uh, Georgians, Armenians, Hungarians, Czechs. Uh, in America's cities, in America's countryside, who had long and bitter memories of the, uh, not just of the Soviet Union, but of the Russian Empire prior to that. And they believed emphatically, many of them, that any attempt to find peaceful coexistence and peaceful collaboration with the USSR after 1945 was at best naive uh, at worst, treacherous. Um, in the Midwest, uh, Republicans uh, recorded 76% opposition to foreign aid bills, for example, uh, in 1952, and 65% in 1955. However, along the East Coast and the Pacific Coast, Republicans um, recorded only 19% opposition um, to the foreign aid bill of 1955. And this indicates uh, um, more of the kind of the first type of um, isolationism, simply that uh, insularity that you can often find in the centre of large countries where um, the question of uh, sending money overseas or having engagements with countries overseas seems um, kind of meaningless or absurd or um, downright counterproductive or harmful. And so it was the um, senators from the Midwest um, solidly uh, opposed the criticism and the censure of McCarthy in 1954. Why? Because they understood their electorates. They understood that McCarthy was speaking for um, the Midwest, um, the heartlands of America. The uh, message uh, of uh, Joseph McCarthy um, did not resonate quite as well in California or New York State. And there is something in that truth 
that has been has kind of echoed through uh, every uh, extreme uh, iteration of Republican politics that's happened since Nixon, Reagan, uh, Bush the second, and currently Donald Trump um, are all uh, well aware that they are uh, able to present themselves not as the kind of uh, rapacious mouthpieces of a kind of extreme uh, iteration of free market capitalism that they clearly are, but as tribunes of the people, as um, people who uh, understand the common touch, um, the uh, folksy, familiar guy can have a beer with of George W. Bush, or the kind of the down-home cowpoke that he presented himself as, as opposed to uh, kind of a, a failed Ivy League playboy uh, with a drink problem. Anti-communism and isolationism aren't always exactly the same thing. Um, it's important not to simply reduce uh, anti-communism and red-baiting um, down to the desire to be uh, kind of uh, in our isolation. Um, the many Slavic Americans, for example, who'd supported Roosevelt and the war against Germany uh, were outraged against the uh, Soviet takeover of Eastern Europe. The indignation of uh, Catholics of Irish descent um, when uh, blended and mixed in with the resentments of German Americans matured into a, a kind of a a new uh, and often kind of plebeian working class um, uh, patriotism. The, the Catholic Church, of course, being one of the uh, long-standing um, opponents of uh, Soviet communism and of, kind of democratic socialism in general. So in 1945, uh, isolationism had was perhaps emerging as a force, but it would take a year or two really for it to kind of appear in in, uh, earnest on the kind of political agenda. Um, The development of things like the the United Nations, which had bipartisan bipartisan support uh, during the 1944 presidential campaign, meant that it it wasn't politically expedient to uh, talk of putting up the drawbridge. During 1944, a number of isolationist uh, congressmen and senators actually lost their seats. Um, The Senate uh, consented to the UN Charter by 89 to 2. Eisenhower, who returned in uh, late 1945 from a trip to Moscow, uh, announced that both the US and the Soviet Union were anti-colonialist, each wanted friendship with one another, and were committed to the um, development of the United Nations. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Gradually, um, bit by bit, the uh, fear that the uh, direction of U.S. foreign policy, which could roughly be described as kind of liberal internationalism, um, that this would involve um, higher taxation and government control of the economy. The aid would go straight into the pockets of socialists and ungrateful foreigners um, to create a global welfare state for the indigent and the envious. Now, this is uh, kind of um, the, the, the stuff of, of conspiracy theorists, but that's not to say that at certain points in American history or the history of any other country that conspiracy theorists don't actually have um, the, the kind of the controlling factor in, in public discourse. Conspiracy theories, uh, whilst you know very often nonsense, still can have a, an immense amount of power. And it's, in, it, it's important to kind of pick apart. The, the anxieties about America's um, internationalism, the idea that America would uh, potentially intervene in other countries for other reasons in order to extend the um, values of uh, liberal democracy and free market capitalism. The uh, world that Americans looked at in 1945 was certainly one that would, would merit those kinds of interventions. And there was a question at the end of the Second World War whether America was willing to um, intervene in countries like Poland, for example. Um, the answer, of course, was there was no question of that happening. But for many Americans whose um, taxes had dramatically increased during the Second World War and who had seen a dramatic increase in the government management of the economy, as has to happen during uh, wars of that magnitude, there was a desire among many to return to peacetime conditions uh, and a belief, which is normally never possible after major wars, that um, the conditions that had existed in, in uh, before 1941 could be uh, rapidly uh, reapplied and that uh, the status quo could be Re, uh, to be um, kind of restored. There was also this fear that um, the United States would be offering handouts to the rest of the world and these handouts were going to the pockets of the most undeserving um, that the Soviet Union might um, hoover up American cash and have its um, oppressive regime supported uh, by American handouts. One of the um, fears 
was that uh, in in Congress was that as um, Great Britain uh, embraced a more democratic socialist future following the victory of the Labour Party in the summer of 1945 uh, and the building of a welfare state that the desire of Great Britain for um, a grant of aid uh, which was approached in August 1945 uh, and eventually whittled down to a loan under some fairly unfavourable circumstances that this would wind up uh, subsidising not just the British Empire, but socialism at home in Great Britain. Uh, David Coke writes, Colonel Robert R. McCormick, proprietor of the Chicago Tribune, backed American Action Incorporated, heir to America First, the, um, America, the sort of uh, sympathetic to fascism um, organisation during the 1930s and early 1940s, uh, featuring Charles Lindbergh, that tried to steer America away from war with Germany. Supported by Lamont Dupont, uh, Upton Close and others, these great sort of uh, capitalist uh, kind of oligarch types, um, this organisation acted as a lightning rod for anti-British, anti-democratic and sometimes anti-Semitic sentiment. The British Labour government's some uh, rapid in um, introduction of nationalisation measures and a welfare state exacerbated fears of socialism as a halfway house to communism. Coke continues to say, resentments about the style, the privilege, uh, about the aloofness of East Coast Ivy League intellectuals whose allegiances resided in mid-Atlantic or further east and who aped the manners of British aristocrats while pouring American taxes into the pockets of British socialists. These passions also fueled the new domestic anti-communism. McCormick's Chicago Tribune described Dean Acheson in 1949 as a striped-pants snob who ignores the people of Asia, betrays true Americanism to serve as a lackey of Wall Street bankers, British lords and communistic radicals from New York. Senator Hugh Butler of Nebraska said of Aitchison, I watch his smart Alec manner and his British clothes and that new dealism. I want to shout, get out, get out. You stand for everything that has been wrong with the United States for years. And there, the kind of support of the um, new British welfare state, which I, I think is exaggerated, in, to, and it's an exaggeration to suggest that the Truman administration supported anything of the sort. Um, but that was um, tied in with uh, the uh, loathing by um, the Republican Party of the New Deal and the belief that this was a terrible thing that happened to America. Um, and the, the combination uh, of, of the two fueled this, this new kind of uh, anti-communism. Now, uh, to take a sort of a slight, slight diversion, I have recently been reading David Edgerton's book, The uh, Rise and Fall of the British Nation, uh, and in it he says that the, the Britain as a, a country is still here, but there have been a series of British nations. Uh, one particularly says that a new kind of nation began in 1945, and when he talks about nations, he talks about how how. Uh, the people within our polity popularly imagine that nation, how they popularly imagine together 
what society is about. And he refers to it as a specific historical uh, formulation. Um, and in 1945, Great Britain becomes this uh, new historical formulation, um, according to David, uh, to, uh, David Edgerton, one with a new uh, welfare state, a national health service, uh, commitment to full employment, uh, and a, a new national sentiment, a sentiment that are roughly of, of a greater collectivism. I believe that McCarthyism is in part the development of a, a new sense of nationhood, um, that people who supported McCarthy, who uh, lived amongst the kind of the this this swirling post-war resentments and fears, who looked at what America was and what America should stand for, um, who uh, drew from the past um, uh, traditions of kind of limited government. Uh, notions of liberty and um, the more recent past, America's wartime experience uh, and America's good fortune to be an um, economic superpower at the end of the war. Uh, and there, there is a way of uh, seeing not only America as being historically distinct or exceptional um, and as um, something like socialism as being a, a fundamentally un-American idea, something that is kind of does not compute with the national psyche, even though there had been socialists in America um, long as, as long as there had been socialist ideas, um, that this new um, sense of national identity emerges particularly within certain parts of America, certain nations seem to exist certain parts of you know the uh, the midwest the the kind of notion of the heartlands and in the development of that idea of, of nation emerging there a, um, a uh, schism that had perhaps always existed between the center and the coasts uh, becomes more pronounced it is interesting that the critique of Aitchison uh, as the sort of the sneering liberal intellectual whose manners are more foreign and his loyalties appear to be more cosmopolitan than that of um, the uh, traditional heartlands of America. Um, that's a kind of quite a, a, a prevalent theme. And I think one of the important parts of looking at McCarthyism is McCarthyism is one of the ways in which we kind of make sense of much of the uh, post-war era, these uh, huge lurches towards kind of more reactionary thinking, particularly un under Nixon, that we, we have to remember were significantly popular at, at the time. Um, both um, Joseph McCarthy and Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan uh, and a, a host of other figures uh, on the populist right have been able to have success because what they've been saying has resonated with the fears and the ambitions and the hopes and the dreams and the um, sense of self that significant numbers of people in America have had. Um, this is the thing about populism is it is ultimately speaks to speaks to the popular. Seems obvious to say, but it's where bears repeating uh, nonetheless. So uh, we're going to continue this week with uh, a couple of other podcasts on um, America in the 40s and 50s. 
Um, we'll get a little bit deeper into looking at um, McCarthyism and the anti-communist period from uh, 1947 and to the uh, mid-50s in Germany. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. I hope you found this useful. Uh, and if you uh, can swing by our Patreon page and support us, that would be great. Thanks very much, everybody, and I'll catch you soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.